there are some groups <clears throat> that are designed to be inclusive, and there are some that are designed to be exclusive. And it's kind of important that we get those right. An easy example would be, you know, if you're at school uh, and your PE class and they're playing basketball, that's an inclusive environment, right? And I would be upset if I heard that, you know, the PE teacher was only allowing the 10 best kids to play while everyone else had to watch, right? The goal of that is to get everyone in the game. In the same way, there are some times where exclusivity is good. My, uh, my Duke Blue Devils won a basketball game yesterday, which is pretty unusual this year. Uh, and, and they won partly because they're exclusive. They only let certain people play. I know that because when I was in college, I asked if I could be on the team, and they said no. Um, and it and, and, and makes sense, right, that, that there are some teams that there are limits to, right? Not anybody can walk up and say, I want to be on the Milwaukee Bucks. So which is the church? Is the church more like the gym class where everybody has a role on the team? Or is the church more like the college or the professional basketball team where you got to try out to get on? That, that ought to be an easy answer, right? The answer ought to be everybody gets to play on the team for Jesus, right? And in fact, we have it on our vision statement. Our vision statement for a church is we are embracing all, right? Feeding spirits, reflecting Christ, changing lives forever. Here's the problem. Jesus didn't get the memo. Uh, and Jesus keeps doing all this really weird stuff where he sounds very exclusive about who gets to follow him. Uh, and, and here we have some great examples, right? Here's a, a gentleman who says, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, I don't really think you do. Another guy says, hey, I want to come with you, but my dad just died. Can I have the funeral? No, you can't. If, if, and then another guy says, well, can I just say goodbye to my family? No, that's not okay. This isn't, by the way, a total aberrant situation. Jesus does lots of stuff like this. Uh, so he says other places in Scripture that he speaks in parables partly to confuse people so they won't understand him. He says um, that following him is like being crucified. He sends the rich young ruler away dejected. He tells uh, the scribe who names the two great commandments that he's not far from the kingdom of God, but not there yet. He says that one day many people will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, and he will say to them, get away from me, I never knew you. He rants at the Pharisees. He preaches sermons that are so off-putting that people end up killing him. So maybe, just maybe, Jesus has a slightly different vision of the church than we do. Maybe um, Jesus believes uh, that far from being a desperate movement gasping for breath and hoping to get someone young to come through the doors, um, that the church should be selective about her members, uh, that not everybody is going to be cut out for this work, and that you have to make the cut before you get the keys to the clubhouse, much less to the kingdom. That sounds kind of awkward, right? I don't really love the sound of that, but here's Jesus. Uh, by the way, this is a, a theme of his ministry that runs throughout. He talks about, uh, remember the parable of the sower, where he sows seeds in all kinds of soil. Some of it grows up and some of it doesn't. 
He talks about the parable of the wheat and the tares where he brings in a harvest and some are saved and some are not. He talks about the parable of the dragnet where some fish are collected and they're good and some fish collected and they're bad. And we get this impression that yes, Jesus will sow seed everywhere, but not everybody will receive it and be welcomed in as one of his followers. So, um, this makes me feel awkward. And I want to say that God accepts everything we ever bring Him. But then I come back to the story of Cain and Abel. Really an interesting story uh, in, the in the fourth chapter of Genesis. And I, I hope you noticed what caused the conflict. Did you notice what caused the conflict between the brothers? It was, it was their offerings, right? That, that Cain brought an offering of the fruits of the ground because he was a tiller of the soil. And Abel brought an offering of the firstlings of his flock because he was a shepherd, a herdsman. And God looked with favor on Abel's offering and not on Cain's offering. We're not told why. There are a lot of really interesting suggestions, right? I mean, people debate about this all the time, but we're not told why. For some reason, God prefers the, the lamb over the grain. But I think part of the message early on in Scripture is that we are to recognize that God isn't desperate for our acknowledgement, but deserving of our all. Uh, and that not everything that we do, um, the little bits that we offer to God, is going to be accepted. God isn't desperate for us to say, hey, we like you a little bit. He's deserving of us saying, hey, we like you more than anything. So, um, I want to think about what standard Jesus uses this morning. How does He decide um, who meets the standard of being a disciple or not? And let me begin by saying, He doesn't use the standards that I would pick. He doesn't say, hey, you have to have um, this much knowledge of the Bible to be my disciple. He doesn't say, hey, you have to have this kind of standing in society. He doesn't say, hey, you have to be morally upright and without sin. He doesn't say you have to go to seminary. He doesn't say you have to be an expert at prayer in public. Uh, and in fact, if you look at all the things the disciples do, they stink at all of that stuff, right? I mean, there, we could have an awesome highlight reel of all the bloopers the disciples do, but they get a few things really right. So, three things today that I think are essential for us as we think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, um, the exclusive church. They come from the three conversations Jesus has with these people on the road. The first person comes and says, um, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, I, I think, in a nutshell, um, Jesus is saying, I, I, I think you want to follow me somewhere. Right? You want to follow me to Jerusalem. You want to follow me to Jericho. You want to follow me to Sabbath. You want to follow me to Passover. But I'm not taking you somewhere. I am the place you're going. Jesus is saying, uh, there's, there's no destination, I'm the destination. And you need to follow me as though I am the thing you're seeking. And, and I, I get the sense this, this first person is saying, well, I'm pretty sure I want to follow you. I mean, I'll follow you for a little while. Where are you going this afternoon? I'll meet you there. And Jesus says, I'm pretty sure isn't what I'm looking for. I don't know if you watched the commercials in the Super Bowl, um, but there was a commercial for Rocket Mortgage about I'm um, pretty sure that I really enjoyed. I'm going to play that for you. 
Can we even afford this house? I'm pretty sure we can. Pretty sure? With Rocket Mortgage, you can be certain. Not pretty sure. What's the difference? Let me show you. I'm pretty sure these aren't poisonous. Well, pretty sure these are parachutes. Mine has a sandwich. That's mine. Pretty sure you do not run. I'm pretty sure you could take Batista down. You're on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is trending. I'm pretty sure these hornets aren't the murdering type. I'm pretty sure we can make it. Let's go with certain. Good choice. When you're buying a home, pretty sure isn't sure enough. When you need to be certain about how much home you can afford, Rocket can. Hi, neighbor. I'll hold the dog. Not again. Okay. Uh, I don't get any money from Rocket Mortgage, just so you know. Uh, I think Jesus is saying, I'm looking for certain, right? I'm not looking for pretty sure. Uh, I'm not looking for you to say, Jesus, I'm pretty sure I want to follow you for a few days or to the next town or until Wednesday when the sermon wears off or until this particular crisis is over or until you answer this prayer and then I'll kind of go back to normal. I think Jesus is saying, "Um, I want you to accept me as your life's destination. Jesus, you're not the means to get somewhere. You're where I'm trying to get. I'm certain about you. Okay, so the first thing, um, what makes a disciple that Jesus accepts is someone um, for whom Christ is their destination and they're certain about Him. The second thing, uh, to another He said, follow me. But He said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This one's pretty tough. Uh, and actually, as hard as it is for us to hear, I think it would have been harder for people to hear in Jesus' day where the father was also the patriarch of the family, very often living in large households. The, the father had an incredible amount of authority and responsibility and significance. And to say you can't bury your dad is pretty harsh. But Jesus says, I will be second to nothing in your life. I will be second to nothing. And if the most important thing you can imagine is burying your father, then that has to come second to me. By the way, um, this calling to leave everything and come and follow Jesus is is a pretty big deal. And um, we've talked before that in the ancient Jewish world of Jesus' time, Every Jewish boy had aspirations of being a rabbi, right? And, and to be a follower of a rabbi, to be a Talmudin. And most kids did some schooling uh, in, in their early age in the hopes of maybe being worthy. And there was, a, there was a pretty high standard to being a Talmudin, to be a disciple of a rabbi. And most kids didn't get it. And uh, I'm watching a TV show called The Chosen. Anybody watching The Chosen? If you're not watching it, it's great. It's free. It's on YouTube. There's an app. It's about the life of Jesus. And there's a couple of scenes where a rabbi walks through the marketplace. 
And when they do, everybody sort of steps back and, and bows their head respectfully. And you get this sense that, yeah, if I was a young Jewish boy and I saw this person walk through town, I'd want that too, right? Just like I want to have the, you know, the flashy car that the basketball player drives, I, I, want, I want the respect the rabbi gets. And, and Jesus comes along and he's offering something even better than that. Jesus is the Messiah that his people have waited for for hundreds and hundreds of years. And he's inviting people to come on this adventure and, and be part of this new kingdom of God that he's starting. And he's saying, this can be second to nothing in your life. And so find the most important thing in your life that has the biggest claim on you. And then you evaluate, is that bigger or smaller than Christ in me? And recognize um, the incredible privilege it is to be called, uh, to be a Talmudin, to be called to be a disciple of the Messiah. So I'm watching the show The Chosen, and there's a scene in the fourth episode of season one where Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and it's right after the miraculous catch of fish. Maybe you remember this on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And after they bring the fish in, um, Peter, who's still called Simon at this point, um, kind of falls before Jesus. And I want to show you this clip. Will you play that? My brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I'll take the fish to the market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. You sure you don't want to do this just a few more times? Well, we'll make a great team on the boat. Son, joking. 
fish are nothing. You have much bigger things ahead of you, Simon, son of Jonah. Did you understand that parable I told earlier? From now on, I will make you fishers of men. And you are to gather as many as possible, all kinds. I will sort them out later. There's some power in telling a fisherman that fish are nothing. But Jesus says, everything's nothing after me. Come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Nothing compares to that. I know that whatever you have to do for work feels really urgent. I know whatever you have to do for school feels really important. I know whatever's going on in your family is critical. And God cares about all of those things a lot. Right? He, he put you in those places and those works and in that school and in those relationships for a reason. But all that has to come second to Jesus, right? Because he's got to come second to nothing. And the work he has for us is incredible. Uh, it is so wonderful uh, that the old things we value become as nothing to us and we become fishers of men. So the first um, standard for discipleship is to accept Christ as our destination. The second is that we will let Him be second to nothing. Uh, the third comes from the third individual Jesus speaks with. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, that sounds pretty harsh, right? I can't say goodbye to my family before I follow you. But Jesus wants us to recognize that our call, our purpose is to move forward with Him. Uh, and, and there is always going to be an allure of our old life dragging us back. By the way, this is another theme that runs not just throughout His ministry, ministry but throughout Scripture. Remember Lot's wife, Right, who is saved from uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah but looks longingly back at the city of sin and has turned into a pillar of salt. Remember the story of the Israelites in the Exodus after they've been saved from slavery to Pharaoh where their children were being murdered. And they get in the desert and they get hungry and they start looking longingly backwards and saying, maybe we could go back to Egypt. We do this, right? We have a tendency to look back at our old lives, things that God has rescued us from, and say, boy, things were pretty good when. And Jesus is looking for disciples who keep their eyes forward and their eyes up. <laughs> uh, I, I had a conversation with somebody this week, a couple of friends just chatting, and we were talking about stupid things people do when they're driving. And um, one friend said, well, I was on the phone talking to somebody a few weeks ago, and they said they were watching a show. And I said, what are you watching? And they said, whatever, something on Netflix. And I said, oh, cool. And they said, yeah, I watch it every day on my way to work. And they said, what, what do you mean? You, do you take the bus? No, no, I just put my phone on the dashboard, and I, you know, I just watch the show and the road at the same time. And the other person I was talking to said, actually, I can do you one better. Uh, I drive every day to work from Mosinee to uh, Wausau, and when I do, I, I you know, notice people on the road next to me, and I consistently see people reading books on their steering wheel as they drive. You're nodding because you've seen it too, and not because you're the one who does it, right? Okay, good, just making sure. Um, just insane to me, right? Reading a book 
Well, maybe I guess it's a really good book. They have audiobooks, people, audiobooks. Anyway, uh, we, we, we take our eyes off the road, we take our eyes off the ball, we take our eyes off Jesus, right? We, we look away and look back and get distracted by all kinds of things in our life. And Christ is calling us to say, um, look forward, look at me. Philippians 3, Beloved, I do not consider I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus expects us to keep our eyes up and our eyes forward. So here's the deal. I really do believe that Jesus has um, some pretty high standards for those of us he allows to be disciples. I think he expects us to name him as our destination, not the means to an end. I, I think Jesus expects us to let him be second to nothing in our lives. And I think Jesus expects us to keep our eyes forward and up on him as he moves his kingdom forward on this earth. Maybe you were uh, and paying attention to the news this week, but something important happened on Thursday. And you guys know what happened on Thursday afternoon? Um, we, we, yeah, we, we, we landed on Mars. I mean, I didn't land on Mars, but um, the, the Perseverance rover landed on Mars. And actually, I, I've got a picture of that. Would you put that up for a second? Um, this is a picture of, uh, of the rover from the drone that's landing it, right, as it lands on the planet. And, and just leave that up for a second. This is just an incredible thing to me. So, this was a journey that took 292.5 million miles, six months, $2.7 billion. Uh, and the, the very last part of this journey, they call it the seven minutes of terror uh, because the landing has to be done completely by computers. No human interaction can help because the time delay is such that they can't get feedback before the landing happens. With that kind of time and money and complexity, you want the very best of the best working on that project, right? Uh, you want the, the best engineers and the best mathematicians and the best astrophysicists trying to figure out how the heck to get that device, which weighs like a metric ton, to land on the surface of Mars and drive around for two years. I said earlier um, that there are some organizations that are inclusive and some that are exclusive, uh, like a gym class or a professional basketball team. But being in the church isn't like being in a professional basketball team. It's like working for NASA. We're, we're doing um, work that is like working for NASA, right? I mean, it's this kind of complexity, but it's actually harder because we're not trying to get to the heavens. We're trying to bring the heavens down to earth. The kingdom of heaven has come near, Jesus says. And so he expects the best of the best, not by the world's standards, right? He's not looking for the smartest or the richest or the most famous or the most popular or the, the fastest or the best at. He's just looking for folks who claim him as their destination, who will let him be second to nothing in their life and who keep their eyes forward for his kingdom. I believe that God is not desperate for our acknowledgement, but deserving of our all. And the rabbi, the Messiah Jesus, comes to us each today and he says, 
follow me? How will you respond? Thanks be to him. Amen.